0: All right, good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you here this morning. And I just want to introduce my wife and a young man who is traveling with us on this trip. First time to Tennessee, first time to Georgia, first time to the States. And uh, so this is my wife, Jennifer. Just please stand. And Justin, please stand. I need you to do me a small favor. Justin, remain standing, please. Okay. I want you to turn and look at Justin. And continue to give him a round of applause, and don't look at me. All right, thank you. Thank you so much, so much, so good, so good, yes. (laughs) You can be seated, Justin. You can be seated. (laughs) All right, um, this morning, uh, boy, pastor is fast. Oh, pastor, okay. What time do I need to end? 10-15, okay. All right, folks, let us dive right in. Now, Brother Cherry is helping me this morning. We, we may have an issue, so I'm just going to, sometimes it's better to just let you know up front what could happen. We could have some issues, possibly. Now, that's because I'm saved and I have Windows and he has Mac. <laughs> so, if the slide's aren't perfect, is that going to be okay with you guys? It's okay, right? So it is, it, is, it is my fault. I, I should have honestly, all joking aside, I should have gotten it to him earlier for him to do the switch. So just bear with us if it isn't as, as perfect as we would like. But let's just have a quick word of prayer, ask God's help in teaching us some thoughts this morning, and then let's jump right into uh, the Word of God. Father, once again, we come before you because we need you. We need your Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us, and to help us, Father. Thank you for this group of individuals that's here at this particular hour for the Sunday school Bible study time. And I pray for the youngest to the oldest that they would get something from this message and be able to apply this for your honor, for your glory. We ask these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, Brother Cherry, let's see how it looks. All right, okay, that looks pretty good. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about church growth, okay, church growth. A lot of people hear that term. Um, some people think of it negatively. Some people think of it positively. Some people don't think of it at all, okay? So we want to take a biblical look at it and try to get it very practical this morning. So we're going to look at several verses. I'm going to kind of go quickly um, sometimes I could talk about this all day. As Pastor said, this is one of my favorite topics to, to speak about, but I'm going to try to go quickly to get as much information as possible. All right? We can go to the next slide. Okay. Some things to consider before we get started. Okay, next. What is the mission of the church? Okay? Some people would say the mission of the church is to feed the poor. Some people would say the mission of the church is to help the needy. Uh, Some people say the mission of the church is to impact the community. And all those things can be somewhat true. There are aspects to that. But I believe there are three core issues when it comes to what is the mission of the church. So let's take our Bible, and you see those verses, Mark chapter 16. And if we could have somebody be ready with these verses just to stand for us, please, and uh, help us out and just read it. So Mark chapter 16 verse 15. I hope I got that right. Yes, okay. And if somebody can read that for us, please. Okay. I think if you're here this morning for Bible study, I would expect, anticipate that you understand The main mission of the church is to see people saved. Okay, that's what it boils down to. You could feed somebody all the food you want. You could counsel them all you want. But at the end of the day, unless they receive Christ as their personal savior, they will still die and go to hell. Okay, so salvation is is key. Then the next verse we have is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Someone else read that for us, please. Okay, thank you very much. Now, I think we would all agree that salvation is important. I think I could get, I could, I could almost say 100% across the board in a church like this, we would all agree salvation is important. Then I think we kind of maybe go maybe 80, 20 on this next one. Some people would believe, hey, I get saved, I get baptized, and I sit in church. That's, that's basically it. I just get saved, get baptized, sit in church, Church has an activity I may or may not attend, and that's what I do. But in these verses, God, Jesus said that he specifically sent pastors, evangelists, teachers for the perfecting of the saints. In other words, the pastor's job, the evangelist's job, the teachers, their goal is to help you to mature in your faith. So we might be 100% 100 percent across the board with salvation. 80 20 with this next one. And now the last one, I would say we might be 50-50. We might be 40-60. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 28. And someone please read verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations that have name in the, name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Okay. So we're going to look at this one in a second, and, and ma'am, you could get the next verse for us, please, whenever the next verse comes up, okay? All right, so uh, next slide. So this is how it should look. This represents, just keep clicking, and I'll tell you when to stop. Okay, so this represents the church. So stop right there. Person comes into the church. The first thing is to get them saved. Then the next thing is to see them grow, and then the next thing is to see them reproduce or duplicate themselves. It is not for you to simply come to church, hear the message, shake pastor's hand, and say, I've done my duty. You are supposed to reproduce yourself. And then guess what happens? That same triangle starts the process all over again. Because now you lead, see, someone led you to Christ. Someone should have edified you. And someone should have helped you duplicate yourself. Then, when you get back to the top of that that triangle, now it's your turn to lead someone to Christ, help them to grow spiritually, duplicate themselves. Then that person, you see, you see what I'm saying? That's that's how it's supposed to work. Okay. All right. So keep going now to the next to the next point. In order to have that happen, what must what must we have? We must. Well, we need we need soul winners. We need teachers. We need servants. Do you know that uh, it's important to serve in your local church? So you need mature believers to do this goal. Now, here is the problem. And, ma'am, if you could get Hebrews, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. We have a problem in many of our churches. And, by the way, let me just say this at at the outset. When I say church, I'm not specifically talking about this church or my home church or anybody's church. I'm just using the term in general, okay? So in um, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 12, you could go to the next slide. Here is the problem that we all have, or many churches have, not all, okay? Keep going, keep going, keep going, and keep going. Two more times. Thank you, okay? Yes, ma'am, please read that. Hebrews 5, verse 12. Thank you, ma'am. I, I look at certain verses and I say there are some sad verses in scripture. This is a sad verse. Jesus is looking to the church to produce strong Christians who can be teachers. You say, "Well, I don't. I'm not. I'm not good at teaching a Sunday school class. I don't necessarily think this teaching has to do specifically with Sunday school class. I think you should be able to teach someone one-on-one." Amen. Amen. So, the time when you're supposed to be a teacher, you need someone to teach you. It should be to the point where pastor has too many teachers. Okay, pastor, we've got 10 teachers, but we only got eight classes. What are we going to do with those other two teachers? Which, of course, he will say, we need two more classes. (laughs) Or let them talk to somebody one-on-one. There might be someone in the class that may be a little slower or newer, maybe not even slower, maybe they're newer to the class. And so the class is on lesson 11 and this person just got saved. So you know what? Instead of letting them start on chapter 11, use one of the two extra teachers to help them to catch up. Because here's what's happening in many churches. The next slide. That's what's happening in many churches. The saying is this. 10% 10% of the people do 90% of the work. And there are some of you that feel just like this. You've got eight ministries. You're running around. I, I know places, churches, the guy runs from driving the bus and picking up the kids to go teaching the class to go leading a song. That shouldn't be. That shouldn't be the case. And that's how a lot of Christians in in churches feel. So what does God require? Next slide. What does God require of us? What is is he requiring of us? Okay. Okay. Go down. Spiritual growth. Someone please read 1 Peter 2.2. Lady, well, ladies for us, yeah. Baby, desire the, the sincere of the word, that Thank you very much, okay? As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If you have children, wouldn't you expect them to grow? If you have employees... Wouldn't you expect them to grow in the business and get better? Or you expect them to just do the same thing for the next 25 years? Or do you expect them to go from being a clerk to a supervisor, to a manager, to a director? You expect, we expect Do you expect to play? Could you imagine a 45-year-old guy playing peewee football? I just love playing with the kids. No, you're supposed, you're supposed to go higher. <laughs> You're supposed to go from PB football to junior league to, to high school to college to the NFL. In life, there is progression, ladies and gentlemen. No, nothing in life really stays the same. The only, thing, the only thing constant is change. We're all supposed to be growing. And for some reason, it just seems like sometimes Christians don't get this point. They just think, well, this is how I am and this is how I'm going to be. Yeah. Well, no, God expects us to grow. So one of the things that God expects is he expects us to grow. And that all helps with the whole process of what the church is trying to do. See people saved, see people taught and edified, and see people reproduce themselves. But not only are we supposed to grow, next line, we're supposed to bear fruit. Now, when I see bear fruit, I think of two things. The first is taken from Galatians 5. Let's turn there, please. Galatians 5. And Brother Rick, you could read verse 20 and 21. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Forgive me, I'm, I'm, I'm lagging behind. Galatians 5. 22, sorry, sorry, 22 and 23. My apologies. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Okay, thank you, Brother Rick. So, this is how I believe it goes, Pastor. This is how I believe it works. The Holy Spirit of God, through the preaching of God's word, through your personal time in God's Word, through your time of prayer and devotion, works on you internally to produce these, sorry, to produce this fruit. Amen. Amen. And people should be able to say, hey, you know what? You're a lot more meek than when I first met you. You were so aggressive. What happened to you? Man, you yeah, I thought you liked your wife, but man, you really seem to love your wife, man. What's gotten into you? So what's supposed to happen, I believe, is we're supposed to bear fruit internally so that we can bear fruit externally. For example, let let me put it like this. Let's say... I was to teach a course on running a marathon. Now, how many of you think I've ever run a marathon? Okay, you all just hurt my feelings. I just want you to know that. That, that, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, But you're right, I have never run a marathon. (laughs) They're like, really? (laughs) Um, Could you imagine me getting up and saying, folks, you need to run a marathon and I will teach you how to run a marathon. First things first, you got to get up early. Then you got to get the right shoes. Then you got to s- strive and start a little bit. And you're looking at me like, "This man never ran no marathon?" How is he telling me I need to run a marathon when he never ran a marathon? Okay. If we don't have the fruit of the spirit, growing in us, and we go around handing out gospel tracts and telling people they need to be saved, they're like, you're telling me I need to live right? Did you see your life? Uh, You're telling me I need Jesus? Uh, I think you need Jesus. It starts within. Soul winning should start within and then come out. So that when you hand someone that gospel track, they say, okay, something's different about this person. Amen. Yeah. Not perfection. We're not talking about perfection and never sinning and uh, thou shalt do no... No, no, no. What we're talking about is when you do sin, you go back to the person and say, hey, look, yesterday I lost my temper. And I just want to say that I'm sorry. That's an open door for you to witness. Because you're showing them the fruit of the Spirit. Right. Amen. And so we have the fruit of the Spirit... Uh, Hit the the slide once. Now, once we get the fruit of the Spirit, then we can produce the fruit of souls. Turn to John chapter 15. Famous chapter of the Bible, John chapter 15. And with this one, I'm going to read several verses, so I'm just going to do this real quick. John chapter 15. And the Word of God says, I am the vine, sorry, I am the true vine, And my father is a husbandman. Every branch. Okay, so we have three individuals here in this scene. We have uh, God the Father is the person who is in charge of the vineyard. Then you have Jesus Christ is the vine, and then we are the branches. Once we get saved, we are grafted to this vine. We are born into this vine. We are now a branch, and the branch gets its sustenance, its food. Uh, the process, anyone know the process of where plants make their own food? Photosynthesis. That is the only thing I remembered from biology class. <laughs> Even if that was biology, science, whatever it is, right? Photosynthesis. So here's what he says. So he says, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Now I want you, I want you to listen now. Just Listen. The first thing Jesus requires from us is to bear fruit. Internally, that's with the help of the fruit of the Spirit. Externally, that's with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. So number one, he wants us to bear fruit. Say, turn to the person next to you and say, bear fruit. Okay, good. Good. But I want you to notice what this verse says, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch my time, okay? Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. You say, preacher, what do you think that means? I think it means exactly what it says. I think every Christian is expected by Jesus Christ to do the natural procession of life in that when God produces fruit in them, they then go out and try to produce fruit by winning souls to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are not doing that, then what are you doing on earth? What is your purpose for living as a Christian? To make money, have a 401k, and retire? Is that your goal in life? That's not the goal for the Lord Jesus Christ for your life. It's not. The goal is to bear fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, he takes you away. You read into that however you want. You say, I don't understand that verse means, ask your pastor. Okay? Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Now watch this. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. I used to see this, um, I'm, not, I'm not a big you know, person who does farming, but I did watch a few shows and see a few things where people would get a scissors and they would go around a plant like this, probably not exactly like this, but you know what I mean, like this, and they would start clipping the leaves off and different things, and they would clip off the dry brownish leaves, but then so sometimes I noticed they would clip off leaves that to me look pretty good. That's purging the tree. They're taking stuff off of the tree that doesn't need to be there. Here's what God does in our life. He takes stuff out of our life that doesn't need to be there. Amen. I don't know about you, but I don't like purging any more than the next person. But I have to realize that this purging is for a purpose. That's a good, that's a good message title, Purging with a Purpose. And the purpose is and you can produce more fruit. Turn to your neighbor and say, "More fruit." What's the first thing he expects us to do? He expects us to bear fruit. Then he expects us to bear more fruit. So you say, "Okay, well, I've been doing the same ministry for 25 years." Okay, God wants you to take that ministry now to another level. He doesn't want you to just stay there. That's what I do. He wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to bear more fruit. Notice this next verse, uh, verse number eight. It says here, "Heron is my father glorified that we bear, what's the next two words? This is pretty serious, isn't it? Well, I just come to church, sit down, read my Bible and go home. Not according to this. According to this, Jesus expects you to bear fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, he takes you away. If you are bearing fruit, he can set you through some trials to help you to bear more fruit. And at the end of the day, you say, okay, I'm bearing more fruit. Now what does Jesus expect? He expects you to bear much fruit. And then... Lastly, verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Jesus wants you to bear fruit, bear more fruit, bear much fruit, and bear fruit that remains. I believe the topic we're talking about this morning is how you can bear fruit that remains. So let's, let's keep going, okay? Next slide. All right, understanding disciple making. I got this information, so the first part I kind of put that together. This information, I want to give credit where credit is due. Went to a conference, met Pastor Tim Porter, and he taught on these topics. All right, here we go. Uh, look at these, we got some common thoughts here. Keep going, some things to consider. Okay, good. Uh, Our church isn't growing. Why isn't our church growing? Whether you have a church of five or 500, the question often comes up, why isn't the church growing? What's happening, preacher? Uh, Maybe the church isn't growing because the world is more wicked. You know, the world's getting wicked. You know, I mean, Satan, man, look, look, watch TV. Watch the news. It's getting wicked. So therefore, because the world is more wicked, we don't have people coming into church. That's what some people say. Church isn't growing because of our stands stands or standards of the past. You know what it is? Our church is just too strict. If we were to loosen up a little bit, you know, we could get more people inside the church. That's some of the thinking that's out there. Okay, next slide, please. So here's what some people do. When a church sees a decline in its membership it can lead to a couple of these actions. Number one, ask people what they want. They go around, thank you, brother. They go around and they say, let's go knock on all the doors in Covington and let's ask the people what they want in a church and then let's do what they want. Okay? Some people say, let's get a new church program. Some people say, let's get a new building. I've literally heard people say, when we get a new building, preacher, we'll get more people. Let's get new staff. Let's hire, a, let's hire somebody to, let's hire a new outreach pastor. And let's have an event. Now, please understand this in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with these things, these are good things. Y'all we, we had an event last week. This, this, these are good things. But if these things are what you're trying to do to make the church grow, you're going to have some problems. Because un, you could have a lot of fruit from your efforts, but Jesus wants fruit that remains. Amen. So if all we're doing is having event after event after event, if there's no discipleship, people come into the church and go right back out of the church. Yep. And then five years later, you're knocking at their door, inviting them to the church they got saved in. All right, let's keep going. So let's turn to, uh, back to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Folks, as you're turning there, understand this. Jesus had the right plan all along. He had the right plan all along. It's for us to fall into his plan. All right, notice what he says. Matthew chapter, eight, sorry, chapter 28, verse 18 says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. The power is in Christ, not in your persuasion, not in your personality, not in anything about you. The power is in Jesus Christ. You could be a teenager, you can be an older adult, you can be someone who has been newly saved. I would rather someone who was newly saved than, the, than a doctor of doctors when it comes to psychologists or psychiatrists. Why? Because you have the power of Jesus Christ behind you. Amen. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. When I used to see that word teach, I used to automatically think like teach a Sunday school class. So you go into all the world and you teach people about Jesus Christ. You would teach a Sunday school class, or you would preach and teach. And I've been in many churches where you come into the church and it would say uh, on one side go, and then the other side teach, or go into all the world, or the Great Commission, or what have you, and, and, and that's fine, the Great Commission, Great Commandment, hey, you say tomato, I say tomato. Okay, fine, no problem. Got you. I'm with you. Either which way, I'm with you. But that word does not mean to teach like teach like a class. That word, if you go to the next slide, is actually matheo. Keep going. Keep going. Good, right there. And that means to become a disciple of one. And it's almost like we've had the answer all along in the Great Commission commandment. But somehow on this trail, we got caught up into numbers. And the success of a church began to be determined or defined by how many people are in the pews. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather have a church of five hundred baby Christians who don't want to grow, or a church of fifty people on fire for God? Because I'm going to tell you this: in five years, one of those will still be standing unless they make some changes. That's right. Amen. And so people see numbers and they say numbers: how many? How many were out? How many were out? We got to get the numbers. We got to post the numbers. It's all about numbers. Um. Not with Jesus. Amen. He, he wasn't too concerned about numbers. He was concerned about discipling 12 men and he knew one of them would have denied him, or, or, or not denied him, that was Peter. One of them would, would turn their back and, and betray him. But when Jesus came into the world and he came to the earth and he started his earthly ministry, he didn't say give me a crowd, he said give me 12. And I will pour my life, and they will become my disciples. Not my crowd. Yes. My disciples. Amen. Keep going. Next slide. Next slide. Okay. And there are some other verses that I could leave behind and show you some stuff. But, uh, well, let's go there. First Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians let's, 11.1. Let's see it. The Word of God is better than my explanation of it. So let's just go there and see it. 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, verse number 1. All right, someone could read that for me, please. Be followers of me even as I also am Christ. Okay, follower. We're going to see it in a couple of slides further down. Memetes. Mimic, imitate. Here's what Jesus was saying. Here's how you make a disciple. Jesus was going to say, Live with me, walk with me, work with me, and whatever you see me do, you do. That's discipleship. Okay, let's keep going. Got to make sure with time. Okay, I'm good, I'm good. All right, let's keep going. All right. Um, why people don't like to do disciple-making? It's easy to get numbers, and it's easier to lead people to Christ than it is to disciple somebody. Um, go, go hit it two more times. One more time, sorry, right, okay. So, you, okay, yes. So disciple-making is slow. You can lead someone to Christ in 20 minutes. You can lead someone to Christ in 10 minutes it's gonna take a lot longer to disciple somebody. It's gonna take more of your time, more of your effort. Um, It's hard, you could pour into someone and at the end of it, they drop out of church. And I know people who get discouraged by that and they say, well, I'm just not discipling anyone anymore. Well, let me ask you a question. If you give a tract to somebody and they throw it away, you're gonna stop giving tracts to people and witnessing for Jesus? You don't stop just because one person didn't turn out. You don't stop just because two people didn't turn out. You, you do something because it's a command of God. And so you don't get caught up on results. Leave the re- and I think that's where we get lost at. Leave the results in Jesus' hands, not yours. When you stop thinking about the results, then guess what? You are free. Because whether the person got uh, saved or not, you gave them the gospel track, guess what? You did your part. You're free. Whether the person grows or drops out of church, you disciple them, you did your part. Leave the rest to Jesus. It might be four more years before the person comes back and says, now I'm ready to take what you told me four years ago. You don't know that. I don't know that. So just let, leave the results to Jesus. Uh, discipleship is limiting because you're only working with one or two people at a time. All right, next slide. Before Jesus speak, spoke about discipleship, It was spoken about the Greeks, um, Socrates and Socrates and all these other fancy names, um, Pelagoras and, you know, all these different names. So discipleship was even happening before Jesus would come. What was it? They were learners. So someone was a teacher, they would learn. Uh, They were committed. They would imitate this person. They were devoted. They continued the teaching of the leader afterwards. Then you go on to the next slide. You had the Talmud. They were learners, listeners. They had a teacher. They passed along the teachings of the rabbi, carried the oral tradition. They were imitators. They served. All right? Next slide. Here's how Jesus did it. He did basically the same thing that was happening. He had men that would follow him, that would listen. They would learn. They would obey. They would mimic. Remember, Peter, when, he was, when Jesus was being um, getting ready to be crucified, and the people looked at Peter and they said, Peter, They said, you've been with Jesus. You remember that? That's because he had spent three years with him. He probably dressed like him. He probably had his beard like him. He probably talked like him because he was around him for three years. He was his disciple. So uh, disciples listened. They learned. They obeyed. They mimicked. They committed themselves to it. They continued the teaching afterwards as well as they served. The next slide. Follow, and this is the word I was talking about earlier memitates uh, and those are some verses there right underneath that that you can look at and I have some of these as well so here's how Jesus did it and how we do it next slide please modern day discipleship is you get a big crowd maybe some from that crowd get connected to the church maybe some from that crowd gets baptized in the church and maybe a few few from that crowd actually serve the Lord. That's the way modern-day discipleship looks. Get a big crowd, a few will get connected, a few will get baptized and join the church, and then even a smaller handful of that will actually be a servant of the Lord. Here's what Jesus did. He had the three, Peter, James, and John. He had the 12, he had the 70, he had the 500, and his impact on the world was greater because he didn't start with the large number, he started with the few. Next slide please. So here's what it is. What is discipleship? It's a born again Christian sharing the gospel with someone, the fewer the better, establishing a relationship with the new convert, teaching the new convert from the Bible, mentoring the new convert, being an example to the new convert and training the new convert, to get their own new converts to do the exact same thing. And so practically speaking, it would look like this slide, where you start with, keep going, salvation, Bible teaching, training, mentoring, and commissioning. Discipleship is finished when the person you're discipling can disciple someone else. So, and again, sometimes we, we say things and I've said it, I've been guilty of it. We have a discipleship class for eight weeks. After eight weeks, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're a disciple. Now, that might have been eight weeks in a class, but that doesn't mean that discipleship ends, so to speak, when that person you're discipling can disciple someone else. All right, so how would it look in your church? Next side. All right, number one, pastor will train potential disciplers. So there are two people in this room today. Either you are somebody who who pastor will say is mature enough to disciple someone, or you're a person who needs to be discipled. You need someone to kind of take you under the wing. Folks, I was discipled by someone. So there's nothing embarrassing. Well, I want to be a discipler. Well, well, guess what? In everything in life, there's time and there's seasons. So this might be a season for you to learn. Then once you learn, then you can teach. So pastor will train potential disciples. Next. Uh, then you can identify different ones. So you can identify potential people to disciple. So let's say pastor gets uh, 20 people in here, 10 men and 10 women. Then... Those 10 men and 10 women say, okay, pastor, who do you want us to disciple? Pastor says, okay, Sunday morning service, look in the audience at someone who regularly comes, but no one is working with them. Let's say you don't find anybody. Then next, look at somebody who is on the church register, who has visited the church, who might even be a member of the church, but they don't come anymore. Then uh, individuals who have just visited the church in the past. You may keep a list of that. So, Pastor, where's that list? Take that list, and you go to that person, and you talk about, hey, I'd love to have lunch with you and help you in your spiritual walk. Or you can go to the lost people in the community. And you go to the lost people in the community with the focus of winning them to Christ to then disciple them. Okay, next slide. When you meet together, now you got your person. And I'm just doing this quickly, folks, just for, you know, for Sunday school time. You meet with the person, you have Bible study. All right, how was your day? You pray. Uh, what I would do, Justin, let me, see if you, let me see how good of a teacher I am. I'm putting myself on the spot. Who do we normally pray for when we pray when we have class? Okay, stand up and say it a little louder so they can hear you. Turn, turn, turn to the crowd. Okay, very good. Okay, you'll get $10 after this. All right, good. All right? So I have them pray. We go through and I say, okay, Justin, who is it? And Justin, oh man, I forgot the name of the boys. But anyway, Justin would say, I'm praying for so-and-so and so-and-so. So So even though I'm in the process of working with him, I want him to be thinking of who he's going to be working with. Because it's not finished until he's discipling someone. You know what I pray for Justin? I pray that he can disciple people as a teen. That's what I'm praying for him for. All right? Uh, You go through Bible study, upcoming weeks, and then there's mentorship. The next slide, please. Mentorship. You communicate through the week. You make visits together. So if you're someone that comes and cleans the church, you bring the person who you're discipling, and you all clean the church. If you drive the bus, drive the bus together. If you fix the lawn or do stuff around, you do that. Um, Clean and maintain the church. Cook together, okay? Uh, Go to community events. Go to a baseball game together. Why? You want them to see how you interact with society, the lost, with people. Take trips together. That's why he's with us. I wanted him to be able to experience the ranch and see what it's like to travel and see what it's like to, to, for, for Brother Kwame to be coming to a church. and pre- I want him to see those things. So this is a way of disciple. All of this is discipleship. Amen. All right, and then let's go real quickly to this one and then we'll, we'll go to my favorite part. We're doing great, okay? Keep going keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, and keep going, and then you can keep going, and keep going, and you can go right there. So you got John, next slide, and Chris, okay? So that could be me, Justin, that could be you, and whoever, and by the way, that could be Johnicia and Christina, okay? So you work together, Next line. You uh, meet once a, at least once a week, and I only say that just to make it simple, but at least once a week, but you're talking through the week, you're texting through the week, you may go shopping together, you may do whatever, you meet once a week. Next. Uh, you have new stu- uh, Bible study material that pastor's going to approve of, and he says this is what we're going to use as a church to stay on the same page. You're studying, you're working together. Keep going, keep going. Now John has finished working with Chris. They come to Pastor, and John says, Pastor, Chris is ready to go. Or John Mika says, Christina is ready to go. She, she's ready to get her own disciplee. She's ready to get somebody. So now, keep going, John, well, Chris gets Luke, or Lukisha, and John gets Hank, or hank a <laughs> I know what you were saying. You're like, what's he going to do with Hank? I know you were saying that because I was saying the same thing. <laughs> so now, John, see, because once I finish with Justin, that doesn't mean, ah, whew, I'm done now. No, that's for me to go get, I got to get somebody else. So Justin's going to get somebody else, then I'm going to get somebody else, and we're going to do the same thing, keep going. They meet once a week, keep going. Uh, they're studying, keep going. But now, John and Chris Keep going. We could meet once a month now, and we could keep each other accountable. And I could find out how his discipleship is going. And I could make sure he is staying faithful, and I can encourage him. That doesn't mean I just, okay, I'm finished discipling you, Justin. Have a good life. No, we're going to stay in touch. It's just now I'm also focused on Hank, and he's focused on Chris. But we're still going to have a relationship. In fact, there might be times when John, Hank, Chris, and Luke all go out together. Because it's discipleship. It's a lifelong journey. And this is how it happens. Now, okay, keep going. I think there's one more thing there. Next slide. Okay, I got five minutes. This is my favorite part, Pastor. This is my favorite part, all right? Someone may say, preacher, nice, nice, nice. But preacher, listen, Jesus is coming soon. We need to see as many people saved now as fast as possible. This little discipleship thing is nice, and you're saying, oh, yeah, whoop-de-doo. Preacher, I want to see as many people get saved as possible before Jesus comes. we got to get busy. So this whole thing about discipling somebody, that takes a lot of time. So what we're going to do now is we're going to see. So we have the soul-winning pastor, and we have the discipleship pastor. They have two trains of thought. The one who is soul winning only, all he wants to do is see people saved. He's gonna start a church, and all he wants to do is see people saved. Forget all of that discipleship stuff, at least by, the, by, by God's grace they're going to heaven, they're saved. And then you have the soul winning pastor. Now, for sake of the illustration, we're only gonna go for a year. Sometimes discipleship may take longer than a year, sometimes it'll be shorter than a year. We're gonna use a certain amount of people for the soul winning pastor. He may one year lead more, he may one year lead lead less, people to the Lord. This is just an illustration for you to understand how powerful this is. So the first year, the soul-winning pastor leads 100 people to church and starts a church with 100 people. That's amazing, isn't it? He starts out with 100 people, the first year. Soul-winning and disciple-making pastor, him and his wife, they disciple another husband and wife, So at the end of the the year, they only got four people saved. They only got four people in their church. So the soul winning pastor drives by and says, you guys got a quartet. I got a church. Next year. Next year now, he leads 100 people again. So now he has 200 people in church. They they were were renting in a storefront. Now they got their own building. They got 200 people. Now, remember, he don't, he's not really concerned about teaching, so they're not all that mature, but they're, they're coming to church. So when winning pastor, now that he is, him and his wife has talked to someone, now they both go and get someone else. So now at the end of two years, they got eight people. So when winning pastor drives by again and says, you guys need to give up. <laughs> Next year, 300 people. Good night. Other church, sixteen. They're still in the storefront. They might still be in the, the house. Next slide. 432. Remember now, Jesus is coming again. We got we got see see what I mean, preacher? In four years, I could have led four hundred people to Christ. You would have only led with this stuff you're talking about, you would have led thirty two. Which one do you think Jesus would rather us do? Year five, 500 people, 64. Year six, 700 people. Oh, I'm sorry, 600 people. But now this church has 128 people. But you say, preacher, still, come on, man. After six years? Next slide. 700 people to 256. Remember, the 256, they've all been discipled. They're mature. They're faithful. They're teachers. They're soul winners. They're givers. They're bus drivers. They're nursery workers. They serve the church. They're Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, youth activity. They're faithful. The other 700, eh, hit or miss, but they're coming to church on Sunday mornings. Next slide please, 800 to 512. Next slide please. In 10 years, those two people who are faithfully taking their time and working with people and helping them out and training them, in 10 years, they would overtake the pastor who leads 100 people to the Lord every year. And I guess you could figure out if that's uh, 2,048, the next year that's going to be 4,000 plus, while the other pastor just has 900 or 1,000. Question as I'm done. Question. Do you see why Jesus got 12 disciples? Yeah, amen. So here is a challenge to you today. The prayer has to be this Lord, do I need someone to disciple me so I could get in on this? And that's okay if you, that's where you are. And, and maybe you need to just ask your pastor, ask your pastor's wife, say, hey, what do you think? When you look at my life, what do you think? And pastor may just say, hey, look, hey, just just go through it once. But I'm going to challenge you today to say, either I want to be discipled, or preacher, I know enough doctrine. I need to start discipling somebody. Because the impact is amazing. And Jesus is coming soon. And you know what I say? then it's time for us to start discipling people. Heavenly Father, may you do a work in the hearts and lives of these folks that are here this morning. Help us all to be disciplers or to be discipled, to become disciplers for your honor and glory. We ask these things in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.